Hello and welcome to this, the first edition of the Making Theatre podcast. My name is James Farncombe. And my name is Bruno Poets and we're both freelance lighting designers. We're hoping that this will be a regular series of podcasts about the complicated and sometimes messy business of making a show. As time goes on, we aim to draw in guests from every aspect of production to start a broader conversation about all things involved in bringing a show to stage. We're recording this on 24th of June 2020 and the UK's been in lockdown for three months. It's now slowly being eased and many people are starting to go back to work. Businesses are starting to open up. However, social distancing rules, essential for the safety of the population, means it's impossible for theatres to reopen. Nearly all productions have been postponed or cancelled and it seems likely that most theatres may not reopen till 2021, if we're lucky. Like most of the people we hope to talk to in this podcast, James and I are freelancers, and for all freelancers, the outlook for the rest of the year is pretty bleak. We need government support until theatres can fully reopen. As freelancers, we are a disparate community. There has been no management structure or organisation that brings us all together. We are thousands of individual voices. So we were very excited when the Freelancers Make Theatre Work initiative exploded onto social media last week. You'll probably have seen the Instagram campaign and the faces of thousands of people signing up. Organised by a small group of volunteers, it provides advice, news updates and a fantastic resource of information, all collated onto their website. They're a collective voice to advocate for the UK theatre freelance workforce. They aim to encourage more transparent and inclusive conversations within the theatre industry by listening to and articulating freelancers' needs to theatre management, production companies and the government. Their website at www.freelancersmaketheatrework.com is a fantastic resource. Please check it out, join the campaign and please fill in the big freelancer survey. We had planned our first episode to be about, well, ourselves and lighting design, but we wanted to support this campaign and make the first episode to be about all of us. The core volunteers have been phenomenally busy putting all this together at incredible speed, but we were lucky enough to talk to three of them yesterday. We spoke to Chino Odimba, a freelance playwright based in Bristol, Adele Thomas, a freelance director of theatre and opera based in Cardiff, and Neil Austin, a freelance lighting designer based in London. So welcome everybody and thank you for joining us. Uh, our first question is about who you are as individuals. And so could I ask you in just time-honoured fashion to go around the virtual table and say a few words to introduce yourselves, if we could start with Chino and you're joining us today from Bristol. Yes, I'm here in sunny Bristol. Um, my name's Chino Odimba. My writing name is Chinonyerim Odimba. Um, I'm mainly known as a playwright, but I'm also a poet and a theatre director. Excellent. Thank you. And hello, Adele. You're in Cardiff. Hello. Equally sunny Cardiff. Uh, my name is Adele Thomas and I'm a theatre director, but more recently I've moved into predominantly working as an opera director. Thank you, Adele. And then Neil here in London. Happy birthday, Neil. <laughs> Thank you very much. Yeah, I'm Neil Austin. Uh, I'm a lighting designer. Thank you. OK, so... We'd just like to get a sense of who you all are in terms of your, your practice. Perhaps you could talk a little bit about your life in theatre and what it's meant to you so far. Chino, what was your first exposure to theatre? Because I know you've had quite a varied career before coming, becoming a playwright. Yeah, I mean, I've had a slightly strange journey into, the, into this industry. Um, uh, I started, I wrote my first play um, 18 years ago um, and really after writing it and then having a rehearsed reading, which is very lucky for a first play, 
um, I decided theatre really wasn't for me. And um, and I walked away (laughs) and uh, spent seven years just doing what I'd been doing all along, which is just earning money in lots of other different things. And um, and then by some very weird coincidence, I bumped into someone who remembered my play from seven years ago and said to me, you know, what are you doing now? And I and I kind of bluffed it and tried to run. And um, and he eventually got it out of me that I was still writing and I was writing in secret. Um, <laughs> so, right. so uh, he, you know, he asked me to send that play to him, which I did, and um, and it got an, and it got a rehearsed reading. And you know, it's been a feels like a stop start journey into the industry. But um, and and for me, you know, I, I feel like my my career really started well into my thirties. So I suppose in that way, I've I'm a late comer into the industry, and I I've come with from a marketing background in other in other sectors and um especially like music and festivals so i understood the thing of working towards the production i just didn't understand being um the poor artist whose work you're you know is kind of like um yeah is there in the like in the heart of it as well as being a part of this huge collaborative process but you feel that you i think you were saying yesterday you 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 feel you stand in good stead because you have an understanding of all the different aspects of putting on a show um yeah yeah so i've always found it i suppose as coming into it i've always found that that i the the way in which we make theater both exciting in that collaborative way but also sometimes quite isolating you know people tend to come together into the process quite late which I'm just not used to especially when you're putting on um, a music festival you you need to start communicating fairly early on with almost every aspect of that um, production so I've, I've always found um, it both kind of familiar in some ways but also completely strange in other ways um so yeah, my and I still do. I mean, you know, <laughs> yeah, that's, that's like we could do a whole podcast talking about that actually, about yeah, how I, I, how those structures build up and how people interact and when they start being involved in making shows. Yeah, um, but I also like the fact I I will always like the fact that somehow I feel like an outsider and somehow I feel like an insider, and and what perspective that gives me. Yeah, it'd be great to talk more about that. And Adele, how how what was your route into theatre, and what did theatre mean to you when you were growing up? Well, like Tina, I mean, it took me a very long time to to get into theatre. I'm from a town called Portalbert in South Wales, and Portalbert's known for exporting two commodities, and one of them is steel, and the other one is Hollywood actors. And now and now hopefully opera directors, absolutely. So I grew uh, so I grew up knowing that Richard Burton and Anthony Hopkins were two kind of you know famous sons of Talbot, and more recently Michael Sheen is um our kind of current, you know, um famous son. Um but um, which was great. So there was lots of youth theatre and, and and loads of kind of wonderful um amateur theatre happening in Portalbert. There was a big passion play that took place every year. 
Um, and my favourite thing was the Taibach Rugby Club Panto, which was still to this day is a night out that really does take some beating. And um, we watched you know, a bunch of 40 very big, very old ex-rugby players um, performing Cinderella is just something that has to be seen to be believed. <laughs> I complete that. Um, absolutely. And, so, and, and in so many ways, even though I think I think my process is probably a little bit more rigorous now than the Taibach Rugby Club Panto, but it's still... It's a, it's um it's a firm touchstone to me in what I think theatre should be. I really love, you know, food and drink and live music and that generosity of spirit and the kind of slightly anarchic freewheeling quality of it is all the stuff that I still really, really love. And um and you know, even, I'm even funneling into opera at the moment. Um so that was my education in theatre growing up. That's fabulous. I think that's that coming together as a, and to make a show is what we all love about doing this job. I think. Absolutely, and the, and the storytelling. And Neil, you're you're well known as the lighting designer of many shows in the West End and Broadway. But would you say that your your theatre um, experience initially was based in around the UK as well? I mean, the, the theatre experience was based everywhere, but. London. Yeah, I grew up in London. And then that's, you know, you start to, as you start to do your career, yes, there was a bit of fringe work in London. But as soon as it became anything um, uh, other than that, you were reliant on the producing theatres around the UK to, uh, that was where uh, you were touring, you know, you'd be... I mean, it was crazy. There was one year I did twenty-four shows in in in, in a year, and and I, I basically lived out of a suitcase in digs uh, around the country, designing one show during the day, drawing the plans for another at night and on Sunday. Uh, you know, and then you'd travel to the next venue and you'd watch the, you know, you'd watch rehearsals in Leeds, and then you'd do that show, and then you'd go over to Manchester, and then you'd be up in Edinburgh, and then you'd be down in Plymouth, and then, yeah. So we're a disparate bunch, but the one thing I think we've all got in common is that we cut our teeth in theatres nationwide and various mm. scales and various producing houses. Adele, could you just start by telling us a little bit about what the Freelancers campaign is all about? So Freelancers Make Theatre Work is a collective which is devoted to advocating for the needs and the voice of freelance theatre workers during the time of COVID and hopefully beyond that. How did you all come together? How did this how did this coalesce? It was only a few weeks ago that I, I certainly um, had been given an invitation to the group um, by Roxana at Hampstead Theatre who knew that there was a group of freelancers coming together that had been that had been talking to um, individual theatres about what was happening for freelancers in this moment. And, um, and so, uh, you know, I got the invite and I really, I wasn't sure what I was expecting, <laughs> um, but very, it became very clear very quickly that actually this was a group of, of freelancers and artists and creatives that I did not know really and that felt really exciting you know to be in a space with a new kind of with a new collection of faces and experiences um and that was for me um the first kind of contact with the group but I don't know if Neil or Del can talk a bit more about what was happening before that moment but that that was my that was my intro into it well, no, we all came together at exactly the same moment. I think what happened was, um, in general, the theatres suddenly, the theatres around the country all got the message that freelancers were feeling uh, exceptionally isolated and left out of any decision-making going on. We didn't really 
understand if anyone was having backroom conversations about how to save our industry during COVID and, and what was happening and the lack of uh, financial help coming from the government and the fact that so many of the freelancers had slipped between the uh, furlough scheme and the SEISS um, schemes. Uh, you know, there were lots of people who weren't getting help. And yet all we heard was um, it was were news articles about theatre buildings and saving theatre companies, but there was nothing coming through about what they were doing to advocate for us as individuals being 70% of the workforce. So uh, uh, meetings were called with individual uh, theatres. In I think in most of our groups, um, most of us, it was the London Theatres Consortium, which I didn't even realise existed before this moment. Uh, I have to say it's it's an Arts Council um uh, delineation of um, so it's the Hampstead and the Unicorn and the Young Vic and the Almeida and the Royal Court and I'm afraid I'm going to remember uh, not remember all the others but all of those uh, came together and pushed uh, one of their freelancers that they worked with into this group so yeah I'd never met Adele and Chino before and I'm very very glad that this group has come together to allow us all to get to know each other because it's been amazing. It is amazing. I remember we were on a, we were on a Zoom last week, and it felt like um, uh, an extraordinary family for the first time. It was a kind of quite wild, and, and everyone was shouting, you know, was kind of piling in and kind of responding and being brilliant, and uh, and the kind of immediacy of the connection has been really extraordinary. I think. I, I think it feels to me like everyone in the group. Um, are, are a bit like me in that we can't we're people who can't keep still very long <laughs> so I think all of us I, I mean I can't really speak for Neil and Chino but certainly for the for me the first eight weeks of lockdown um were quite welcome in a lot of ways I desperately needed some time to do nothing for a bit but it re- but very soon into lockdown I started to feel like um an incredible urge to get involved in something um, and I noticed that there was, like Neil says, there was very little conversation early doors about what was going to happen for freelancers. I guess we would, we are so used to responding to artistic directors and leaders, but of course those people were so consumed with the grind of furloughing and saving their buildings, and and they were in a maelstrom of chaos. Um, so it was kind of very welcome when I got the phone call to to ask. Uh, if I wanted to be part of this, because by that point, I think like everybody else, I was ready to roll my sleeves up and do something now. I think that's true. I've certainly myself had the sense that there's a large chunks of society are returning to work. It's really brought it home to me that I won't be going back to work anytime soon. Do you know what I mean? I think I, like you, I've I've enjoyed having a change of pace and opportunity just to to take stock. But aren't we privileged that we can afford to... Uh enjoy that moment and that's what we've been very aware of is that there are there's a massive amount of of freelancers out there who are who have not had any of that capability and who every moment I mean if this had happened five years ago to me uh, you know 20 years into a career uh, it would have been utterly devastating. So Tina you're on the board at Bristol Old Vic Mm -hmm. is that correct? Yes I am. It strikes me that we have to consider how the crisis affects the whole ecology of the theatre since as freelancers we are dependent on producing houses and companies and vice versa. So we're all in this together, actually, freelance or not. How do we collaborate with the buildings and, and, and theatre management? Yeah, I mean, it's it's a really interesting question because I think um, for me and, you know, what's been articulated by Neil and um, Adele so brilliantly is that you know before this moment I was 
kind of so busy and so lost in my work schedule that I rarely stopped to think about the bigger picture, you know? And and it was really easy to sometimes get bogged down in the quick the quick moans, you know, quick moans about what it's like to work in buildings, what it's like to be in buildings, um, what it's like to be a freelancer. And um and actually this has really changed all of that for me because as well as being on the board of Bristol Vic, which I have been now for nearly four years. Um, and I put myself on that board because I think boards need more artists and creatives. <laughs> um, but also I'm chair of Theatre Bristol, which is an organisation here that um, tries to support artists, um, both with funding and um, with how to develop their work further. And wearing both those hats has been really interesting. <laughs> Um, seeing it from both sides yeah and and in a way what's been great for me in terms of freelancers make theatre work is that somehow that sits in the middle of it and and the the actual central and and core thing that we're trying to do is about is about where those two hats meet so um, looking at the building and knowing that actually we have to understand buildings are made up of other human beings. And I have certainly not envied um, my colleagues in those in those roles, whether furloughed or not, who are having to take on the weight of that situation. Um, and if I think my schedule of Zooms are horrendous, I can only imagine what the schedule of Zooms for artistic directors across the country must look like um, yes the weight the weight of the burden on their on on their shoulders is yeah it, huge it, at this and, and it's really brought I think all in all it's really brought a sense of the humanity of this whole thing really in in very in very sort of sharp focus for me and and I've I, and I've tried my hardest to respond to um both the building and and you know the, on one hand also individual artists who are who are panicking um trying to make work and trying to and also trying to find a space that feels like they've got someone to talk to um in terms of the role that theatre bristol play so i think where those two hats meet for me is the sense of humanity like how can we a respond to ourselves and all our fears but also create this space that feels safe enough for people to say yeah I'm a part of this you know like I'm yeah. a freelancer as well um but that's it that's I think that's that's where I'm finding myself and I, I spend a lot of time reminding both um our staff at Theatre Bristol to take care of themselves and already I'm thinking I don't have a I don't potentially have a job to go back to <laughs> and yeah. I don't have an office to go back to and both those roles are voluntary but mm. um, I'm already starting to think actually how do we support our staff who are going to go back to um, work schedules that they haven't been a part of for three months how do we make sure that suddenly they're not thrown into crisis about childcare and 
all of that all over again because you know if if even if you're not a single parent family if both of you go back to work and not all the classrooms are open or whatever then what's that what does that mean so I think I'm fine I'm trying to find a great deal of humanity and stop the moaning yeah I think that's the extraordinary thing about the about making theatre is that if you look at the long list of names in a program or the credits on an NTU live um, YouTube broadcast it gives you just a big a sense of the number and variety of people involved in making a show and I guess the majority of them are often freelance how do you um... well a lot of them are freelance but it, it is really important to say that freelancers make theatre work is not trying to um uh, create any form of wedge it's it's just trying to bring the freelancers together as one voice to work with the theatres and work with the producers and the uh, and the organizations there's um there is a terrible tendency to be become stratified at this moment and we as an industry are fighting for our entire existence and we're fighting we're fighting to try and help the ecosystem remain the ecosystem that we all understand as we talked at the beginning of this podcast about how we've come up and what our roots have been you know that it's every scale of theater that you've worked in along the way to get to wherever you are now um it's very important that we support all of that and work work with it yes there are um some uh, uh important changes to think about in the future but in the immediate we need to make sure that um the industry as a whole survives yeah, exactly. So I guess it's you're um, presenting a united front alongside the theatres. Yeah, I mean, as Neil says, lot. It's amazing how um, welcome uh, theatres have been to our, to us raising our voices in this way. It's not like they are worrying about us or that they feel like we're being interventionist or we're being oppositional. Quite the opposite. I think what is really kind of brilliant about the moment that we're in is that. It, to some degree, lots of stuff is up for grabs. And so for the first time in a long time, we've managed to take our heads away from just you know having our heads down and our noses to the grindstone. We've got some time to really think about the future. And that ha- as Neil says, that has to happen with the buildings and the buildings have to do that with the freelancers. There's no point in us going separately, you know, um, on our separate ways because otherwise we won't get anything done. But the theatres are really, really keen in my experience to be part of that conversation and to work out how they can work better with freelancers in the future, which is really exciting. Yeah, we should probably, uh, you know, one of the things we, we ought to be looking at in in, in due course is uh, why, why it is that as a freelance self-employed person in theatre, come this moment, it was so damaging that there were because of the way we work because of the way the industry um uh has paid uh up to now it's quite difficult to i would suggest impossible from my own experience to build up um a reserve neil you're something of a dynamo in the engine room of this campaign right that's my impression anyway uh uh, and you've played a huge part in getting the website off the ground, and, and but crucially collecting the hard data to present to the government. Can you just explain why that's so integral to the campaign? There is a survey, isn't there, that's collecting data. Why is that so important that people take part in that? That's, um, yeah, the, the survey we're hoping to um, collect enough responses to get a brilliantly broad view of every strata 
of freelancer in the industry from a brand new practitioner, a recent graduate, all the way through to, um, you know, uh, establishment figures uh, who are who are freelance to understand who is in the industry, uh, what the issues have been in uh, lockdown, how finances have been affected, whether all of that has contributed to uh, their need to get out of the industry now. You know, I hope that what we're going to find from that is some interesting data about um, specific areas that and people and uh, that need help. And have a wide variety of people signed up to the campaign and um, how's it going with the survey? Are you getting a lot of responses? We've had an amazing amount of responses so far, um, uh, uh, but we still need more. It's open till the end of this week. Uh, we have obviously realised because we're a very small group of volunteers, there's about 12 to 15 of us, um, that we've in that we've had to slightly adjust the surveys we go along because people have very kindly written in and very positively, but have also told us that you know we've forgotten this or we've left this out. Um, we, we're we're getting access versions of this done now. Uh, um, I, I'm so sorry, you know, being being volunteers and having no funds, of course we didn't. But then luckily someone contacted us saying, "Well, I will do it for you. I can provide you with that help," which has been amazing. So yeah, so yeah, so please, please keep filling it in, uh, and by the end of the week uh, we'll have a data set to then crunch and find out what's going on. Brilliant. And in, in terms of who's signed up to the campaign, is it is it mainly creative or backstage people or actors? Or do you think you're actually, you've, you've caught the attention of the, the whole range of people who work in the theatre industry? I've noticed that there's been a huge input from people that are really not usually very visible. So I see loads of stage managers taking part, mm. loads of technicians and lighting designs, you know, the people who aren't necessarily what we might call the frontline um, creatives. In fact, if anything, we need more actors to take part in the campaign. Right. Yeah, and dancers and singers and, yes, performers in general, I think, have, have, have ended up on the website. They've noticed that there are a lot of photographs of people who do jobs off stage and I think they thought oh this isn't for us of course the reality is as we know or because we work in that section of the of the um of the industry the actor on stage is a tiny tiny proportion of the full amount of people uh, employed to make a theatre piece work so the proportion is probably right on the website but yeah my goodness actors actor, singers dancers performers musicians get involved so that segues into the next question rather well because I was wondering how we include freelancers beyond theatre, because the word theatre could be regarded as quite exclusive. And, and Chino, you have personal experience of this. There are a lot of people in the worlds of concert touring and events which have either come through theatre or come back into, you know, the, the, this, there's a lot of cross-pollination, so to speak. Um, and they actually do very similar jobs to us in many cases. How do we in, reach out to those sort of freelancers? Well, I, I mean, I think it's very... For me, it feels very simple, like although although we exist very much in the same world, um, for some people, still theatre's just not, it's just not an industry they'd consider. And, um, and I think that that's something I hope that not just freelancers make theatre work, but other conversations happening, other things being set up are going to really start to challenge in the future. There, you know, these are all skills that can transfer very, very easily, you know, and um, 
So I think, I suppose like um, Neil and um, Adele have said, there is something about the idea that, you know, a prop maker <laughs> or a puppet maker um, is suddenly visible because even for me as a writer, you know, in the in in the kind of standard uh, experience that I have, even if there is a puppet being used in a show that I've written, I may meet that person for a few minutes while they hand over the puppet to an actor, a director, a movement director, um, but I don't have a relationship with them, and um, and we have to make sure that what we're talking about and what we're doing here is that interrelational work, you know, and and that people who are outside um, theatre, if they feel that theatre is a space and they see this campaign and they think, well, actually, theatre is a space that in the future I now understand, oh, there's a, there's a you know, there's a puppet maker there, <laughs> you know, um, then, then I now understand this is a possible... Um, industry for me to come into or to work in then I absolutely think that they should be considering this is a space for them as well um because those skills are 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 running across our industry just as just as easily so whether that's um you know we working in the music um context you know stage managers producers you know the conversation we were having yesterday I really didn't ever think about the role I did working in events but it's effectively that of a producer but I would never call myself a business <laughs> producer you know um, yeah and of course all those freelancers in those industries are, are facing a similar crisis to to what we're seeing in the theatre industry and it's got a big job of work to do I think as an industry to kind of to make it clear to the taxpaying public and to and to government and to to any organisations really that can help us in the next eight months that all of it is interconnected. So whether that's fashion or events or going to see that gig or the, or if you were watching the television, you're watching the football. Well, guess what? The cameramen who are filming this were trained probably through some sort of you know creative training and someone designed those props that those footballers are wearing and um, and. Uh, it you know that that kind of public perception may be that we in the theatre are somehow privileged and outstand aloof and outside of the of the world that we live in is completely is not right you know that we are all interconnected and that we are not necessarily a bunch of lovies who sit around kind of you know talking about Sartre and um, Chekhov but in fact you know, <laughs> we are people who work unbelievably hard and that we, we we craft and we toil and that the people involved in this are so wide-ranging and so my myriad and diverse that it's kind of eye-opening I mean I manned the um, Twitter um, uh, our Twitter um, what's the word I'm looking for our Twitter stream the other day and it was so moving to see hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of pictures of all of these people and these skills and the range of skill and, and just the pure talent that these people have it you know you it it feels so unbearable that we might lose any of it because it all feels so precious and so urgent and so um and so important to the international force that the UK is as a cultural um hub in the world so do you think that without funding, um, there's a danger that these crucial and unique skills are going to be lost forever? I think almost undoubtedly, yes. I think 
it's a difficult thing to try and explain. I mean, a lot of my family just come from an, you know a world which is so separate to the world that I now live in. So I have to. I found myself having to explain stuff that, of course, feels as obvious as breathing oxygen. But one of the things that I think we forget sometimes is that theatre has always been part of a subsidised um, network, going right back to. I'm talking about you know 500 BC when Aeschylus and Sophocles and Euripides are writing plays. Those plays are supported by the democratic um, society around them. And, you know, it's, it's folded in as part of an essential part of a, a democratic world that theatre is at the heart of it. It is expensive and it is unwieldy. Now, we all know that while the upfront investment is expensive and has to be subsidised, the payback for everybody else is that theatre actually is um, a huge growth industry and it pays back in dividends back to the community around it so it's 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 um it's a strange model and i keep thinking always i keep coming back to how silicon valley is um funded in that you have to have a huge outlay and support a lot of talent so that it may eventually repay five times over what what you paid in as an investment if that makes sense we need seed cash uh, as a business to start but my goodness if you want to only look at the economics and not at all the uh, wonderful uh, um, uh, communal uh, community uh, help but I- economics alone we pay back five times what we get as a subsidy back to the uh, back to the economy and that goes all the way back to, you know, youth theatre and engagement and people who are working on those front lines kind of thanklessly and relentlessly. And so, I mean, they cannot function without all of the infrastructure of supporting theatres, supporting organisations, safeguarding. They need all of that. But of course, like Chino saying, it's so essential that we reach out to more people so that we can keep paying back five times over what we are investing in theatre. Yeah, I think those outreach groups and um, the programmes that theatres all around the country run for young people are really crucial. It's really crucial work. Especially when school uh, education policies are not including culture and the arts. And so people are being narrowed in their viewpoint of what their possibilities are. It's it's amazing that, that uh, those departments in our theatres are reaching out and trying to widen everybody's horizon. Yeah, they can make a huge difference to the lives of individuals. And it's not necessarily about um, priming them for a career in theatre. I think it's about how they can develop as young people and and grow. I mean, I was from Patolbert, and, you know, while I knew that there were all these actors who came from Patolbert, um, what wasn't immediately obvious in my surroundings was how I might become an artist because no one in no one in my school was going to turn around and say that being an opera director was a was a viable job. You know, there's a steelworks literally across the road. That's where that's where your future is if you grow up as a child in Patolba. Or certainly when I was growing up. I mean, sadly there are only you know two thousand jobs at that steelworks now in comparison to sixty five thousand that there were when I was going you know as school age. Um, but um, so, you know, no one is going to turn around and tell you you could be an opera director, but it's through then discovering things like youth theatres and um, and little local organisations and um, and sixth form colleges that specialise in the arts that suddenly the universe then cracks open and anything is possible. And it's, it's important, I think, for young people to have a feeling that they have an identity away from just one single place as well, because, of course, you know, it can be very suffocating sometimes to grow up in 
one environment and to have one identity and then suddenly you discover you can have a secret life as a you know young lighting designer somewhere <laughs> it's, it's really important and exciting for the development of our young people that they're allowed to express themselves like that yeah so this crisis actually it's not just affecting people in the industry now it's actually affecting the future of the industry and young people coming into into the industry for me that's the thing that keeps me up at night at the moment if I'm totally honest it's the futures that we're mm. losing um, or potentially losing because of this and that's in a way what sort of motivates me both in terms of freelancers make theatre work and all the other roles that I'm you know things that I'm doing it's just that we have to understand that I certainly wouldn't be in this industry um, if it wasn't if it wasn't for people who also who I could look at as role models and if we lose those role models if we lose those images if we lose those skills if we lose because we have to be honest about our industry there's many people who work in it and don't really engage with a lot of it and then there's some people who feel that it's fundamental to their role as an artist or creative to to go into schools to do the teaching to do that community work and and those are the people that I worry that we'll lose and it's you know beyond beyond conversations about economics or the social capital of the arts um for me it's the futures the futures that I feel really strongly that we have to find a way to um to save to support yeah because that's not the glamorous headline grabbing side of theater it's not the the west end or the big musicals or the the huge amounts of money but actually that's probably the most important part of um of what what the funding can do is that's the only reason we're we're all here is because there was someone like that in our lives that opened our eyes to it and encouraged us to give it a try and it sounds like it's true for all of us that the the education in theatre was only the first step on the way, and actually the, the the hard graft of ten years touring or whatever it was is where the real lessons are learned, and that's where you cut your teeth and learn your trade. And without uh, without a touring circuit, without theatres that are making work all over the country, there just isn't that opportunity to really learn on the job, which is essential, I think, to making and producing a high quality theatre. Yes, and there's there's also the, the there's the two sets of futures, isn't there? The, the Chino's talking about the, uh, the the futures that are being encouraged in education now to to and and having their eyes open to to as a, as this is a possibility. But the other people who are massively suffering at the moment are the new entrants, are the who who, who would who would want to be uh, leaving their college uh, in a month's time to enter this industry as a possible empo- employment prospect, and those people who have been within their first three years who haven't been helped by the self-employed uh, scheme because they didn't have uh, enough years of years of accounts, you know, those are the people we're going to lose. There's a, there's a potentially large, large group of people that are now trying to figure out what else they can do and are discarding this as a potential uh, employer. Yeah, I've had so many emails from young directors getting in touch in just in with just in just despair because they have no idea what's going to happen to maybe they've had some momentum building for four years, five years, where they've gone from assisting and lots of them are saying to this was supposed to be my first London show this year. This was going to be my first, you know, studio show. This was my first. And suddenly it's all gone and it feels so hopeless. And of course it's, you know, 
like Isaac Newton said, motion goes somewhere. There, this energy is going somewhere. There, there is potentially a future, but it's so. I mean, it's so worrying to think what's going to happen to those people at the beginning of their careers who don't have years of collateral to kind of you know call upon the other side of this. Mm. I think something else important is that the theatre community, I think, generally needs to improve diversity and inclusion. And although I guess a small approach, a small amount of progress has been made, there's still a very long way to go. Do you think that the the lack of funding and the crisis we're seeing at the moment is might result in it only being privileged middle class people who are able to survive in the industry because they can somehow support themselves while everybody else is unable to work? Um, well, I think I think if that happens, that will definitely be the end of it. Yeah. Um, I, I genuinely and I and I'm afraid that I would um, probably support that. I think. That as an industry, we have done read we you know we have made some progress, um, and this is what I sort of keep encouraging people to do at the moment. Like there is, of course, there's the money conversation, but it it also this moment also presents us with an opportunity to really think about the things that we haven't been doing right. Yeah. You know, and and to really come up with creative solutions to that. And that's not always about, you know, commissioning that one black writer or, you know, a a scheme to help that one aspiring Asian lighting designer. You know, this is about saying maybe the things that we've set up and the ways in which we work need another, also need to be reset. You know, yeah. And, so we can take this time as an opportunity to to think about that and some reset creative things. Thinking, yeah, yeah. some creative yeah. thinking, and that that is no longer about words, but it's about actions. Mm. And some of that, it does not need to. You know, I I mean, I I really like I say, I'm I'm completely compassionate and backing up my my um, fellow uh, theatre workers even the ones in buildings you know but we cannot keep making the excuse that um the the diversity and inclusion and the and the thinking that we need to do around that is dependent on money because the truth is we've had the money yes and we haven't had that made that much progress and in this moment we need communities and we need people to be fighting for our industry and in order to do that they need to see themselves in here they need to see themselves in our buildings. They need to see themselves outside of our buildings. And um, and that just feels like such an important thing right now, that if we're not even allowing the space for those conversations to be had, then we're just missing a really important moment, a, a, you know, an important moment to go, actually, you know, when we talk, when we create these schemes, which are problematic in themselves, when we create this language um, which is problematic in itself, you know, language like BAME and disenfranchised and marginalised and hard to reach. It's just language that has been overused and, frankly, lazy now. But when we create that language, we're also actually doing the opposite of what the work that we think we need to be doing. And we need to be reaching out into our communities and go, who's doing the work that we are trying to do here? And how can they teach us, you know? And to turn that table in terms of um, 
this idea of mentoring and and reaching out and and helping people actually how there are people around all our theatres who are already doing the brilliant thinking and the brilliant work and we need to find them and they need to mentor us yeah that's a really good way of looking at it I think you know, because we can't, we we are brilliant, brilliant people, um, but we don't have all the answers. And um, and the sooner we we start to really do that work, the more likely that e- even if theatre comes back as it is, I think there's less and less people who will engage with it on the terms that they have been engaging with it so far. Um, and so that it's not a change that is necessarily going to be comfortable, but it's also not a change that we can avoid any longer, in my opinion. No, good. No, I agree. I think it is an opportunity to to really think it, about. Yeah, it is. It's it. We've we've got a moment where the industry has stopped, and we've all had time to look and think and realize and make plans to make it better. And maybe misguided, and maybe I'm wrong, and maybe Neil and Tina will tell me that I'm being completely naive. But um, but it does feel like there's a lot of positive energy being put forward in those in the kind of directions that Tina's talking about, and it feels to me like for the first time the industry feels almost le- like a desire to be less opaque. Now let's see what happens, but I think the will is there, and if like Tina says, people can back that up with action, that would be amazing i think there's a desire to make the world better when we come back to normal or whatever normal is so freelancers should be uh, uh, aware that on our website it's not just about the uh, the social media campaign that they might have seen we, we hope that that's going to grab them in and uh, get them to uh, look at the website there's also um an MP's letter that we're urging everybody to send to their local mp we've already sent an open letter to government but that's reinforcing the uh, demands uh, 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 to look after the freelance community. Um, we're also uh, building a, a resource of information because the one thing we all agreed on as we all came together at the beginning was we didn't know what was happening. It was hard to find out what was happening. And at the time, there were very few news articles about it. So there's a news resource on the website that's constantly being updated, like a daily ticker tape of um, the news articles that we've seen that are relevant to us into theatre. There's uh, a, an advice section for people who are in trouble at the moment and are needing help. There's uh, uh, legal advice um, uh, links on there for people who have got um, uh, uh, house, housing issues or, or need free legal advice at this moment. There's debt advice uh, uh, on there, linking to other organisations. All of the, all of these advices, uh, uh, all these advice links. Um, but debt advice, if you're in that financial support, how to claim for uh, all the different schemes at the moment, both from government uh, uh, in uh, all corners of um, the United Kingdom, but also charitable charitable support. Uh, and we've tried to break that up into a way that uh, it's much easier for you to understand which charities might be the ones that deal with you so that if you're an actor there are these charities that you can deal with but if you're a stage doorkeeper these are the charities you should be looking to um there's some mental health uh, and pastoral advice on there as well and then there's resources and the resources is that bit about trying to disseminate information and that is about uh, a little bit of of general arts knowledge because quite often we get quite stuck in our own discipline and we forget to uh read wider about 
what our funding bodies are funding and why they're funding it and what those general arts studies are. So there's a little bit of that in there, but also there's unions in there, all the different unions that um, can uh, uh, help us. There are professional associations in there, some advocating uh, bodies and organisations in there. There's also, uh, that's where to find about other petitions and initiatives going on. So at this time, there are a lot of petitions uh, happening, some directly on the government website, some via 38 Degrees. There are some initiatives about sharing skills between furloughed um, uh, employed workers uh, able to help and mentor uh, freelance workers at this time and then there are some studies uh, and those studies are coming up uh, at the moment about how we can physically work in theatre if there's social distancing or if there's still um, uh, or, if they, or, or if there's still the 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 the, the the virus uh, uncurable uh, uh, out there. And those studies, we're trying to bring all of those together in one place because we discovered that many people were doing their individual bits of work unaware of what everyone else was doing. So we're trying to collate those into one central place. So we'd like to become, we'd like everyone to be able to use us as a central information resource like that, where essentially we're showing links. We're being a switchboard. We are... Taking taking the uh, the request in and pinging out to uh, whoever might be there. But look, if you've got more information for us to include on the website, don't just sit there and say, "Oh, they haven't done it. Why not?" Um, why not is because there are twelve of us and we're all volunteers. <laughs> we're scrabbling and we're theatre makers. <laughs> this isn't what we do for a living. Please just send us a message. Tell us, and we will put it on there. We God, give us give us all your information, please. Thank you. There are also details on the website about how you can take part in our social media campaign as well, which I'm sure you've seen lots of people sharing on Twitter and Instagram, and it's never, ever too late to join in on Make Yourselves Visible. And the big freelancer survey. <laughs> we will make sure that all of the links are at the end here. We'll do it. We'll do an outro um, after we finish talking, just make sure all of those links are in the right place. Um, what's next? I think after a week of... Um of the of the website going live and and i mean you know all the things that neil just listed um are things that we have created between us in the last week um and so i, I you know it's that it's that very similar feeling to once the show is up you know that preview feeling just <laughs> somehow you've been thrown off the edge of the cliff but somehow you've been thrown off it holding the hands of lots of different people. So, you know, but it, I think what next it is very much about the more people use that space that is the website um, for all those different reasons that Neil has listed, the more we, you know, and the more people contact us and get in touch. I mean, the, the group is growing all the time. The help we're getting is growing all the time. Um, and 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 the, the the kind of 360 um perspective that we're having and what's happening for freelancers at the moment is also growing all the time you know as neil said do, you know that invitation to contact us and to get in touch and to share it's it's not said in any kind of like you know uh, a polite way we genuinely mean it because it is very much driving what we're doing on that site it's very much driving how we're doing things on that site and it's very much driving what we prioritize and and that's not that's not you know the 12 or 15 of us sitting around deciding what's important it's us deciding 
is is listening to what's coming in and 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 making changes and actions based on that so that's feels like you know what's next feels like what's happening tomorrow <laughs> yeah yeah and that's really you know that's really exciting actually not thinking too far ahead actually feels you start to understand why certain things work in terms of public engagement because that space to stay open um and to respond in a you know in a clear and action driven way feels more important than us saying oh this is what we're going to be in a month yeah so you need people to get in touch with you and and we can see what needs to be done you know there's the one one is one is in the immediate uh you know in in, in addressing what uh has not been who has not been helped by the uh, the government at the moment and trying to get that message out there but then in due course i'm sure this will move on to become everything we've already talked about which is where should the industry go how should the industry reform what what does this reset allow the industry to do it's exactly what you know was was has been talking about and that will be probably the next um thing that we will attempt to address on behalf of everybody by way of wrapping up, can we just go around the table and ask if coronavirus hadn't happened, what would you be doing right now, Adele? Well, I was do I was in the first day of tech rehearsal for a psychedelic, um, huge site specific rave musical. <laughs> which, <laughs> we, in, as you do, as we do, in which we got for National Theatre Wales, which we'd taken over a minors welfare hall in the middle of the valleys, and we. Oh, I want to see that show. Yeah, it was quite wild and fingers crossed let's hope it will be again so um we'd have just finished that and I I was supposed to be in New York having a lovely meeting with some designers I was working on out there so that's what I would have been doing uh were it not for corona virus <laughs> and Chino presumably you've been writing yeah uh that's an interesting question um <laughs> <laughs> It's funny which parts, which bits of your brain engage and which, frankly, can't cope. Um, So, yeah, I have been writing. Um, It's just a really interesting time in terms of, you know, trying to find that creativity. Um, But I think it's easier for me because, like I said at the top of the the podcast, I'd spent um, so many years outside of theatre writing with no intention of showing anyone any of it. So... I sort of feel I'm I'm quite I'm quite comfortable with writing and not knowing if it, it will ever be on, um, uh, but at this particular time I would have been opening a, a, my first musical um, for Payne's Plough, um, which would have um, opened and then very much gone to Edinburgh. So uh, we're just rejigging what that schedule looks like at the moment um and yeah so I I I feel lucky in that I that hasn't been cancelled it's been postponed and um so I still get to write it and it's a really exciting collaboration um with both uh Katie Posner and Ben Ringham um so I didn't want to I would have been sad about losing that collaboration so I'm really pleased that I can still work on it but yeah that's that's kind of hard pill to swallow because we had some we'd already cast some brilliant actors and um yeah I missed the team a lot I was looking forward to a lot of fun 
I bet. That sounds like a good team. And Neil, which continent would you have been on? <laughs> I'd have been here. I was I was going to be at the Young Vic uh, this week working on Kush Jumbo's uh, Hamlet, which would have been an amazing uh, uh, show. I was really looking forward to it. So, yeah, no, that's not that's not happening either. I mean, it's crazy when I look at my diary and look at all the shows that haven't happened and all the shows that one hopes might happen when we come back but uh yeah it's uh there's there's uh, a a lot of uh, a lot of empty theaters thank you that sounds like a really good place to yeah. <laughs> on that end on that cheery note really yeah good. that's good <laughs> no no I'll, I'll get the violin out <laughs> <laughs> Thank you to Adele, Chino and Neil for talking to us. As a freelancer, it is incredibly reassuring that this group of people are representing us. Please check out their website, www.freelancersmaketheatrework.com, where you can find all the information that Neil spoke about. And don't forget their newsfeed will be regularly updated. We really hope you've enjoyed this first episode. If you have any feedback or ideas for questions to put to future guests, we'd love to hear from you. You can contact us on Twitter or Instagram at makingtheatrefm or email us at makingtheatrepodcast at gmail.com. Next time we talk to the renowned designer, the multi-talented Chloe Lamford. So until then, goodbye. Goodbye. Goodbye.